0: Thank you, Ryan. You guys can have a seat. Welcome to Summit, gentlemen. So two months ago, two or three months, I decided to give Laura a break, cut out of work a little bit early, grabbed both kids. We have a, a daughter, Penny, who's a little over a year, and a son, Hill, who's about three years old. And so took them and just started driving, made our way up to Plano and found this shopping strip and got out, started walking around, and we go into this like split level, kind of two-story deal. And... uh It's zone defense because I got two kids. Penny's starting to walk, but she's really clumsy. She'll fall and like bust her lip, you know, a couple times a week. So I've got to really pay attention to her. Hill's a little more capable as a three year old. And as I'm sitting there watching Penny, all of a sudden I hear my son crying for me. And I'm turning around, I'm looking, and I can't find him, but I can hear him. And I can tell also that he's no longer on the same floor that I am. I'm on the first floor, he's on the second floor, and he's crying, Daddy, Daddy, just wailing. And I'm I don't know what to do, because I've got to have I've got Penny here. I can't find him. And then to make matters worse, I start to hear some stranger talking to him, saying, Here, just, just come with me. I'll help you. Give me your hand. And I'm like, Oh, no, 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 no. And I can't figure out how to get up to him. Like total dad fail. I don't know if you have children, but you start to have that panic feeling like, okay, in the next two or three moments, this may determine whether or not I see my child again. Like someone's talking to him. I can't find him. He's on a different floor. Let me show you where my son was. He was somewhere between the toucan and the snake, We were at Safari Run, he was perfectly safe, he had gone up into this little gymnasium thing, and he was trying to get down the slide, but he couldn't, he was stuck. He couldn't climb up over it, and uh, someone was in there, one of the moms, and is actually trying to help him out, perfectly safe, but in that moment, he thought he was stuck in a huge way, and he thought that I was failing colossally as a dad. I was just trying to build character into him. I'm like, climb up the thing, man. Put your foot on the net and climb. You can't, it's, it's all padded, you're fine. Uh, But he, in that moment, is like, I need you to know where I am. I want you to be right here with me in this jungle paradise, and I want you to help me to get down from this thing, and I want you to lead me out. He was stuck. To me, it's like a little small gym, but he wanted me right there with him. And I think all of us in our lives, that's what we've wanted from our father, from our earthly fathers. You see on the next slide, what a good dad, what you would see in a good dad is that they would know you, right? Like, I I didn't grow up playing football. You know, soccer was my sport. My dad, I don't think he even knew what soccer was. But he tried, he would learn, he'd give us the gear and the stuff, me and my brother. But you want your dad to know you, right? You wanted to be known in your own unique wiring and who you were. And me and my brother are very different. And so you had to get to know a couple of different guys. You wanted to be present, right? Like a lot of father wounds come from absent dad. And maybe some of us in this room are absent dads. Maybe because of our traveling sales gig or the hours that we're putting in or the entrepreneurial thing that we're trying to start on the side to provide for our family, right? How could that be wrong? But in doing so, we're not present. And so a father wound may come out of that. Not feeling known, not being present, Shaping them. A child wants their dad to shape them, to speak order into the chaos that is being raised in this darkening world. To shape them and form them, to speak to them about character, to tell them what it is to be a man from an early age. My son and I are already having these conversations that, that boys and men protect girls. We don't hit girls, because he'll hit his, his sister Penny. I'm like, hey, That's what it is to be a man. We're leaders, we protect, we love God, we fear Him alone. And we wanna be protected, right? Our dads, we want them to be there for us. Guys, statistically in this room, sexual abuse is one in five, one in six within men. I was one of those. We long to be protected as a child, and our kids won't need that, or those that we're overseeing. And then lastly, we wanna be led, right? Good dads lead their kids. And if you're sitting here and you think this doesn't apply to you, well, I don't have kids, it's those that you're in authority over, those that you're discipling, maybe the other employees at your work, your neighbors, but to lead them spiritually and with wisdom. That's what we want from a good dad. And as no coincidence, on the next slide you'll see, this is what our heavenly father gives us. What our earthly fathers or where we fail Our Heavenly Father comes in and meets every single one of these. So, those father wounds, that ache that all of us probably experience in some way or another, is met fully and completely in God. That's just this hardwired thing in us that say, I think I know what a good father should be, or that I can't be to my children fully as I blow it. I ask my three year old for forgiveness that our heavenly father is in perfection. And what we see here in Psalm 139 is that our heavenly father knows us and he knows us far beyond what we ever could know another individual. He is with us. So the first knows us, omniscient. Second, omnipresent. He's with us day in, day out. Even before we knew him, he knew us. He forms us. He's omnipotent, he's all-powerful. He formed us, knit us together in our mother's womb, but not only that, he is for us, omnipotence. All-powerful, he is for us in the battle that we face, this war that we are in, this side of eternity, and then, of course, he leads us. That's where we're gonna be going through this psalm as we look, it's what we see in our Heavenly Father, what all of us want, and therefore, what we also can emulate as we come under our Father and are instructed by him, he'll shape his character in us. So let's walk through this. Psalm 139, verses one through six. He knows us. There's uh, times that this happens in the church. Someone will walk up, maybe from regeneration or whatever, and they'll be like, hey, uh, you probably don't remember me, but, and I'll be like, no, I, I remember we had, we had coffee down there, we were actually sitting right over there. You told me about this or that that was going on with your wife and whatever. And I'm, I'm sure you guys have a similar experience where you can remember something. And, and the gal look at me and be like, man, you remember. It happened to me this morning, actually. Tyler walked in and basically quoted back to me my opening point of my talk from two weeks ago. And it was like, Tyler, bro, thank you. You actually listened. Like, you remember, it feels good to be known because it expresses love. Knowledge uh, connects to love when it's in a relational sense. And in this psalm here, in verse one through six, David writes, O oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, when I rise. You discern my thoughts from afar. He knows our unspoken thoughts, which is both comforting and really disturbing. It's been said that if you knew my thoughts, you wouldn't let me speak, and if I knew your thoughts, I wouldn't let you in here. God knows all of us and yet still loves us. He knows our thoughts. You know I going out, I lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high for me to attain. So this knowledge that he knows everything about us, And yet, still loves us is powerful. That he remembers everything all of our tears, all of our fears, all of our loves and desires. He knows it all. And before we even speak the words, he's like, I know, I know, because I love you. That knowledge is fatherly. I do this thing with my son because he's three and he's small. He'll curl up in a ball and I'll get on top of him. We call it bear cave. He acts like he's a little bear. And I'll like surround him and I'm covering him up. And he he goes into, it's like a hiding place. He feels safe and protected. And I can like shield him. And You know, the little sister, Penny, will come and like try to bat around and get to us. But I've got him. He's wrapped up. He's protected by his daddy. And that's what this is where he says, you hem me in behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. There is a covering, this fatherly covering. He's like, I got you. If anything comes from behind or from the front or above, I've got you. You're mine. This is a fatherly love. And beyond that, it is covenantal. It is unchanging. He will never leave us or forsake us. This is not based on our works or our good deeds or on our bad deeds. But this is a covenantal love by a father. There is nothing my son can do, nothing, that can make him become like an unson of mine. That I would somehow, he would no longer be Hill Elmore. He will always and forever be that and I will always and forever love him regardless of what he does or doesn't do in his life. He's my boy. And that's what God is For us, our Father, omniscient, knows us, loves us. 7 through 12, verses 7 through 12, not only does he know us, he is always with us. He is omnipresent, all-knowing, all-present. Now this is a sobering thing. Because I know myself, and uh, I know that I'm not the only one that is like this. I know the thoughts of a man the double takes that we look at a woman, maybe in your office place, the laziness at work, the harsh words to a wife, the things that you look at on your computer, the way that you withhold yourself from your wife by taking care of and touching yourself rather than pursuing her, the deceit maybe in taxes, thinking, well, I could take a little shortcut here and maybe I might get a better return or not have to pay so much to the IRS. He's with us, ever present, beside us. My kids have monitors in their rooms. I have night vision over my kids. I can see them all night. They think they're in pitch black darkness and yet I can see them. When they're crying, when they're getting out of their bed and they shouldn't be, and I can go to give them a spanking to get them back in bed because they're free range now, at least one of them is. Like I see it, and that's how God is to us. It says that darkness is as light to you. There is no veil of darkness. There's no covering. There's nowhere we can go apart from him. He is all present, and that's both comforting and convicting, and it gives us a soberness of spirit as he is always with us. Just like if your summit leader went with you throughout your day, you'd probably do your day a little bit differently. If you got to work and logged onto Facebook and your summit leader's sitting there and be like, isn't this work time? Like what, do you, what, do, what are you doing that for? Or you start to click on an image that's not your wife. But your buddy is sitting right there beside you. This is God ever present with us. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Shoal, you're there. Wings on the morning, dwell in the outermost parts of the sea. Your hand shall lead me, and your right hand will hold me. If I say darkness will cover me and the light be not around me, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is light to you. God expels all darkness. My daughter, Penny, right now being one and a half or just about, she'll like wander away from me. She thinks she's evaded me because she'll kind of wobble fast to get away and she'll try to go up our tree fort which she'll fall and break her arm, all these different things. And I'm like right there behind her. She thinks she's gotten away and gotten away with something. She'll climb up that tree fort about yay high. And then oftentimes she'll start to stumble and fall. But I'm right there. Like I'll grab her, ever presence God is with us, doesn't leave us. Verses 13 through 19, omnipotent. God forms us. You see in this, this is like one of the best passages for uh, life, anti-abortion, stand for life movement. Because it talks about life being at conception and beginning within the womb, that he knew us in the secret parts. He knew all of our unformed substance and all of our days before one of them came to be. Life beginning in the womb, and not only that forms us physically, but spiritually. He is omnipotent. The greatest minds could not create life. There's an inability here, but God speaks life into existence and then allows us to take part in creation through procreation and the sadness that is sweeping our nation with 50 million plus murdered to holocaust here in America. He is imminent. What that means is, there's two words, eminent and transcendent. We're going to talk about transcendent on the next slide, but here, eminent means this God that is overall, all-powerful, sustaining, holding together the cosmos that no planet would collide, overseeing everything, overseeing all of heaven and earth, overseeing all seven billion plus people on this earth that the waves stop where they're supposed to, that they don't crash inward. He is over all, that is transcendent, and yet he is eminent in every single person's life, all seven billion, personally, in your life, Imminent. There is a personal presence in your life. This is where Jesus says he knows the hairs on your head. And he is not a hair counter. He's not interested solely in your hair. But as Jesus is trying to describe the personal knowledge that he has for you, he's like, look, I don't, he knows even the hairs on your head. He knows every cell in your body, every thought. He is intimately acquainted with each individual. He knows your needs. He knows how many days you have. Exactly. What you need before you even ask Him. He is imminent, personal, providential in your life. But not only that, He not only forms us physically, He forms us spiritually if we are in Christ. You see, if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, believing that he took your place on the cross, that all your sins were laid upon him, buried, and rose again on the third day, and you confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord, it says that you have been filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed with him. And as a result of that, We are told that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, that the forming physically did not stop there, but when we trusted Christ, he began forming us spiritually into the image of Christ. You see on the screen two pictures. One you're familiar with, one you might be unfamiliar with. When you're in Italy and you're walking towards the David, flanking you on either side are Michelangelo's unfamous sculptures. They're called the prisoners. They're called the prisoners because you see these forms of men that are straining and wrestling to get out of the rock that they are in because they are no longer yielded to the master, the designer, the sculptor. And so they're forever stuck in this incomplete, unfinished place, and they're not the thing of beauty that they could become because the chisel and the hammer and the sanding and the polishing has left. It's ceased. And so they are not a thing of beauty. They're passed by. No one takes pictures of them. No one's even heard of the prisoners. But the David... He is this thing of beauty and perfection that people travel thousands of miles to go and see because the designer, the sculptor, the one who had in mind what a man should be went to work and didn't stop until it was complete. And that is what God says Jesus does in us. That the spirit Continues the work that he began in Christ Jesus until we are complete, made into the image of him. He is shaping us spiritually into the image of Christ. And how does he do that? Through the hammering and the chiseling of wealth and health and easy times. No, through afflictions, through suffering, through trials, through loss. It is the sufferings of Christ that overflow unto us that make us more into the image of Christ. And so to resist that or reject it is to reject the shaping and forming that God intends through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we yield ourselves to God knowing that he is omnipotent to shape us, to hammer and chisel out those sinful parts of us that still remain though we are in Christ to take away the flesh that we can be shaped into the image of Christ and no longer be a prisoner here. He is imminent, personal, providential to shape you into the person of Christ. He shepherds the person and not the problems. So should we. On the next slide, you'll see in verses 19 through 22 that he is for us. He forms us and he is for us. He is omnipotent this way in a transcendent way. He is over all. We know from the Bible that he has won the war. And therefore, we are not without hope. We know that already Satan has been defeated, sin has been nailed to the cross, and death, because of Christ, the first fruits, the resurrection, has been defeated as well. There is therefore nothing left to fear but God Himself. He is all powerful over sin, death, and Satan. The story's finished. And we are now in this waiting time until Christ comes and reigns victoriously. And we will, and we will reign with him. He is omnipotent. And therefore, David, living in the promised land of Israel, praise this prayer that seems contradictory at first glance oh that you would slay the wicked do i not hate those who hate you and you think wait jesus told us love our enemies pray for our enemies bless our enemies how can david here by the holy spirit say do i not hate those who hate you away from me you evil doers it is because god is holy and just we live in a uh, we live in a world that wants to make Christianity neutered and to make us pansy men that no longer have the gumption and the holiness and justice of God. We want to err solely to God love, to the mistake of rejecting that he is also just and holy, that in him and around him there can be no sin, there can be no evil. It's why Satan in the rebellion was cast out and why there became a divide and he had to send Jesus. He is holy. He is altogether transcendent, majestic, all-powerful, and there can be no evil around him. It's why he had to send his son to redeem that lost. And so it is proper and right when you read a headline about A radicalized, militant Muslim who drives speeding across towards parliament, killing people, gets out, and knifes someone to death. It's right to feel a righteous anger. When I read that headline and the headlines daily, it enrages me. But I don't hate that guy. I hate the evil I hate the fact that he has been taken captive by Satan to do Satan's will, that he's a slavery, just, he's enslaved to sin just like I was. And so while I'm enraged by the evil in this world, you know who our greatest giving, me and Laura, outside of Watermark, has been to Muslim evangelism. I don't hate Muslims. I love them. I pray for them. And I long to see them redeemed by Christ because they're following a false dead God and a false religion. And so we hold intention tension when someone commits an evil. I was reading last night about Planned Parenthood and the horrific, these underground interviews, I'm sure you're familiar with them, for medical progress. And you hear the horrific things that these doctors are doing as they extract children try to take their body parts intact to sell them for a profit it enrages me like it's, it's difficult to read about the procedure as they talk about killing that child to pull them out and that the mom doesn't actually know that they're 24 weeks and are viable it enrages me just like this passage here with David and yet We pray for their salvation. We don't bomb them. We pray that they would be saved before they stand before God and are judged eternally for the murder of children. And not only that, you take the log out of your own eye and where you are a murderer with your words, where you are committing adultery with your eyes or with your hand or with your computer. Because the wicked within us He's sovereign over that as well. He wars for us. In the spiritual battle, we don't fight it on our own. We go to God. He's the one that has victory over sin and Satan. And so in our battle against Satan and evil, we don't go and forge against us just like David. He calls upon God most high to fight his battles. He doesn't say, God, I will slay the wicked. He calls upon God to do it. And in the same way, with sin in our life or the evil around us, we call upon God because he is transcendent, supreme, all-powerful, and yet eminent. He is victorious. On the next slide, he leads us, (laughs) verse 23 through 24. This should sound really familiar because David, what he does basically is he goes in a loop he begins with, "O oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me, you're acquainted with all of my ways, therefore you shall lead me. And then he ends with, oh God, search me and know me, test my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's this loop, search me, God, know me. You know me, you're with me, you formed me, you're for me, so lead me again as you search me. He creates this loop that is all day every day, a reminder for him, you know me, you're with me, you're for me, you formed me, now lead me. He's reminding himself. And it's this call to God, he says, because of all this, I put myself in glad submission to you. You think about the difference of my son versus me going into a doctor. When my son gets a shot, it takes me and a nurse to hold down that three year old to get a shot. Because he doesn't know it's a good thing. I know that that doctor means health. And so I go, I'll gladly pull up my sleeve and let them give me that medicine because I know it's for good. I have put myself in glad submission to the healer. And so David, after he recalls this omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God, he says, I put myself in glad submission to you. Search me, know my thoughts, know my grievous ways that grieve you because I have a reverential fear that you are holy and I am not and yet you call me to holiness. Therefore, God, just like the prisoner, chisel away, hammer away the things that don't belong, painful as it may be. I will bring them into the light so that you may take away all that is in me that is not Christ like, that it may be formed into the image of Christ. It will be painful and it will be glorious and it will be freeing that you would no longer be a prisoner but that you will be a person in the image of Christ because God longs for the to be mutually desired leading. He wants to lead you but he will not drag you and there's therefore he waits for you to say, lead me, lead me God, lead me in the way everlasting. He wants to lead you, he's waiting. My son, when he called to me from that playscape safari run, I didn't just say, suck it up son, figure it out. I grabbed my daughter under my arm and I stooped low into a three foot tall entrance and walked through a three foot tall toddler trap, six foot one, in my boots, trying to navigate through this padded, netted in mess. I got down in it and I met my son where he was and I took him out. I led him out into a place of freedom and fun. And then he kept me there, and we played in that thing the rest of the time. It's what God did for us in our mess as we were trapped, as we were screaming and wailing. He condescended from that transcendence, imminent, came to us, the person of Christ, and now sealed with the Spirit, walking with us through this wild space that we are in leading us out into a place of freedom. Call upon him. Let him search you and know you and lead you in the way everlasting. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we praise you and thank you that you were ever present, all-powerful, all-knowing, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, for those who have trusted in Christ, you're with us every day, every moment. Would you lead us, Lord? We invite you in glad submission, reverential fear, and we desire for you to lead us. Guide us in this time as we now discuss the areas where we need to be led, the areas where we need to be chiseled by the Spirit to be sanctified. Thank you for these men. Bless them as they go. In Jesus' name, amen.